You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. This, perhaps, has been the most controversial title um, for a sermon that I've given. I've had several of you already come up to me um, and say, hey, you know, that's not actually a song, right? And yes, I know that Taylor's version is not a song that Taylor Swift wrote. I know that it's her trying to, like, keep hold of her intellectual property because of conflict that she had with other people, right? I just, I think it's ironic maybe interesting that the week we're talking about conflict I've had like tense discussions with a couple of you about my choice of sermon title this week so anyhow um we're talking about conflict um we all experience it right it's inevitable in our lives uh as you read the gospels one of the surprising things about Jesus is that he himself is involved in conflict right it's not his fault like it's not because of his sin but because of who he is and what he's preaching but like he has conflict with his friends, right? Peter tells him, no, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem and die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? Like we would accurately describe that as conflict. Um, Jesus had two really good friends, Mary and Martha, uh, and their brother Lazarus was a friend of Jesus as well. Uh, Lazarus got sick and Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. Can you come and heal him? And while he was on his way, um, He came across other people in need and so stopped to help them. And Lazarus died. And when he got there, his friends looked at him and said, what took you so long? Right? Like if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Uh, He's in conflict with his friends. And of course, like the conflict with the Pharisees. Right? He preaches things that they don't like. Uh, He calls them out on their behavior and they have him killed. And so kind of my assumption tonight is that if Jesus had conflict, you're not better than Jesus you're probably going to have conflict too, right? Conflict is going to be a part of all of our lives. And so tonight we're just going to talk about um, some of the pain of conflict, our hope for getting through conflict, uh, but also hopefully some tangible ways uh, of entering into conflict and resolving conflict in a healthy God-honoring way. Uh, Lots of different passages that I'm going to use tonight, uh, but to start off we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. So I'll read that for us. It's on your handout. Paul writes, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth it reveals to us about who we are, who you are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. As we talk about conflict tonight, Father, uh, some of us are in the middle of it, some of us are avoiding it, some of us are exhausted from it. Uh, Pray, Father, that you would show us from your word what it looks like to handle conflict uh, in a wise way, in a biblical way, in a healthy way, uh, and in a way ultimately that restores uh, instead of separates. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so we're doing this relationship series, and, and up until now, we've kind of been dealing with relationships where there's an authority dynamic, right? We started off with a relationship with God, where there should definitely be an authority dynamic, right? And then relationship with the church, 
and relationship with parents. And we're moving next week into the second half of the semester, which is more like peer-level relationships. We're talking about friendship, we're going to talk about dating, we're going to talk about marriage. Um, but here in between, I wanted to take a breath and talk about conflict. Um, and I put it between parents and friends because, like, that's who you guys have your conflict with, right? Like, if you're not fighting with your parents or fighting with your friends, like, give it a minute and you'll be in conflict with one of those categories. Um, and much of the pain of conflict comes from the fact that it's not like just random strangers that we're in conflict with, although sometimes that happens. Um, but far and away, the people we have the most conflict with are the people that we're closest to, right? Parents, roommates, later on your spouse, which is more than a roommate, but like not less than a roommate, right? You share the same house or apartment. Um, you're going to deal with roommate issues the rest of your life, um, and we need to figure out how to deal with conflict in a healthy way, right? The question is not, are we involved in conflict? But when we're involved in conflict, how are we going to deal with it? And what hope do we have in the midst of our conflict? Um, the goal tonight is to help us be able to move towards one another in the midst of conflict uh, and actually work through conflict to talk about it, to be honest about it, to apologize, to forgive, and to be able to move on, right? That's hopefully where we're going to end up tonight. Uh, but more often, uh, I see in myself a temptation towards one of two extremes when it comes to conflict. Are you guys familiar with, like, when an animal is threatened, they either do the fight, flight, or freeze response, you know, and when you feel threatened, like, some of you are ready to go, and some of you just want to hide, and some of you just, like, stay still and hope that the Tyrannosaurus Rex doesn't see you because it's its sight is based on movement, right? Um, I'm going to tweak that a little bit for conflict and relationships. Uh, the goal is that we would make up with one another. Uh, but often I see people either take, so my almost rhyming thing is make up, break up, or fake. But fake up doesn't work, um, right? Make, break, or fake. Make up, break up, or fake up. Um, Sometimes I see people break up, right? If you're dating somebody and you're just in conflict all the time, like you have a, like the definition of breakup. We are no longer boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, but you see this between people as well, right? Like just between friends. Or sometimes you see this between family, right? There's so much conflict that you draw a hard line and say like, I don't want to talk to my brother ever again, right? I can't be around my parents. I can't talk to them because it gets so tense. And so friends find a new, fruit, new friend group, roommates switch spots. Uh, I was a, an RA um, as an undergrad, and uh, our kind of policy on students that wanted to switch roommates was that they had to wait a week because we wanted to, like, teach people to have disagreements and yet figure them out and move on. Uh, but I had these two students come to me, like, halfway through the spring semester. They'd been great friends all the way through the fall. They had lived together really well. And they came to me halfway through the spring semester and said, we need new roommates. Like, we need to switch where we live. Um, I was like, okay, tell me what's going on. Um, two freshmen, here's the story. Uh, one of them came back to the room late, a little bit tipsy from the party that he was at. Uh, and he was hungry. And so he grabbed his roommate's Cheetos and he finished the bag. And then he put the chip clip back on the bag and put the bag back. Um, the next day, the other roommate got back from class while his other roommate was still in class, and he was a little peckish. So he got his Cheetos down off of the shelf, 
and could immediately tell that it was empty, right? But the chip clip was still on it, so he took the chip clip off, he opened up the bag, walked over to his roommate's bed, and dumped that orange Cheeto dust on his pillow. And because of that, they wanted to break up, right? Like, they couldn't get past it. Neither of them could say, like, hey, I overreacted, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't have eaten your Cheetos, let me buy you a new bag, right? That's what I see happen a lot, is that people, quote-unquote, break up, right? This is Taylor's version. I'm taking my song lyrics and going home, right? We can't play my way, so I'm taking my ball and I'm leaving. Or we fake, right? So if one extreme is to, like, go nuclear and just destroy the relationship, the other extreme is to fake and pretend like nothing is wrong, Play it off as no big deal, it's fine, because after all, peace is a good thing, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so I should just pretend like nothing happened. I should just let it go, and there won't be any conflict if we never actually acknowledge it. This sometimes works in little things, right? Like little debts, little slights. Um, Proverbs actually says that it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. But when it comes to real hurt and real difficulty and real conflict, Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who don't have conflict. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Not, not those who are at peace, but those who are making peace, who are pushing their way through conflict in healthy ways to come out on the other side with renewed relationships. So I want us to, to get away from the, like, the breakup nuclear option or pretend like we're fine fake option and actually move towards one another in the way we deal with conflict. Uh, but first, our passage tonight. Uh, these few verses from Ephesians come in the middle of Paul's instructions about what the Christian life looks like in community with other believers. And he talks about things to pursue and things to avoid. He says, don't steal from one another, but instead be diligent, work hard so that you can be generous with one another. Don't lie to one another, but speak the truth to one another. Right? No corrupting talk. Instead, build one another up with your speech. And in these verses, as he talks about conflict, he gives, again, some things to avoid and some things to pursue. Avoid bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice, right? All those things that drive division between people in wake of conflict. Instead, pursue kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness, right? Move towards one another, relate to one another well. But then at the end of chapter 4, he does something really interesting. He doesn't say pursue kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness because it's the right thing to do or because life is so much better when we do those kinds of things. He grounds our disposition towards one another in what God has done for us. Right? He says, do these things, forgiving one another, in the same way that God in Christ forgave you. And a few verses later, he commands, walk in love, right? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, in pursuing peace with one another, God is not calling us to do something that he has not already done himself. Because we were all in conflict with God. We talked the very first week about Adam and Eve's sin driving a wedge between mankind and the creator. But it didn't stop there, right? We've all contributed to that conflict, Right? We all have, in pride, considered ourselves wiser than God and decided when and where and how we're going to obey his commandments. We all, in selfishness, have considered ourselves better than others and so taken advantage of people. 
We all, in fear, have relied on things other than God for our security, and in thousands of ways, by what we've done and left undone, we've contributed to this conflict between ourselves and our Creator. But God wouldn't let the conflict stand, right? He wouldn't let the division between Himself and His people last. And so He sent His Son, Christ, to bear the burden of our sins on our behalf, and through His blood, our relationship to God has been restored, right? We've been reconciled. We've been brought back to God. And so what Paul is telling the Ephesian church and what God is telling us through him is that in our conflict with one another, we are always to keep in mind the fact that God is in the business of restoring what is broken, right? That's his initiating love towards us, is to take broken things like us and broken relationships like ours and God's and to restore it and to heal it. He's making all things new, and that includes us. And as he does his renewing work in us, he frees us and enables us to pursue that kind of restoring work with one another. This is the hope for our conflict, that it's not just us going into conflict, but us forgiven and redeemed and restored to God, indwelt by his spirit, going to one another. Okay, so if that's the hope for restorer, restored relationships for for resolving conflict, how do we actually do it, right? Andrew, tell me what to do. I know that I'm in conflict, and I know that God has forgiven me, but like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, Three questions that I want to use to kind of frame and shape all the different things the Bible says about conflict. Who are you talking to? What are you waiting for? And are you listening? All right, first, who are you talking to? Um... While it seems like we may not be comfortable with conflict, we don't know what to do with it, we don't know how to resolve it, uh, one thing we really don't have trouble with is talking about the fact that we're in conflict. Right? We talk about our conflict all the time, except for with the person that we're in conflict with. Right? Um, We are very willing to talk about our conflict to anyone who will listen. And we don't call it gossip, right? Because we know that's bad and we're not supposed to do it. But, like, there's this thing called the tea, and it gets spilled, like, (laughs) thanks, Anna, hide your face from me, Um, right? Or you say, like, okay, I just need to vent for a second, or, like, hey, can you listen while I just talk this out? I need to get it off my chest, right? Don't tell anybody, but, like, whatever we call it, the Bible is clear that that's not helpful in resolving our conflicts. Uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. And that's what all those things are, right? That's, that's Proverbs' way of saying someone who goes around spreading conflict, spreading information about other people, right? Proverbs 16, 28, if you're trying to, to keep track of these things. Um, instead, the Bible says we're to go to the person that we're in conflict with and talk to them first. Now, that's not to say that we never seek counsel about how to have a hard conversation with someone that we're in conflict with. Uh, But there's a big difference between seeking advice and gossiping, right? Um, Because what's the motivation for gossip, right? What's the motivation for gossip? I want you to say, Andrew, you are justified in being pissed off at that person, right? Or maybe I want to get you on my side, Or I want you to be upset at the person that I'm upset with so that when they come into Hillside, you just like pretend like you don't see them and then we just leave together and ignore them, 
right? Gossip seeks to, to lessen the other person in somebody else's eyes and to raise you up and make you seem right. And if you go to someone with, with gossip or, or complaining about your conflict and they respond to you, it's like, well, maybe they were just doing this or, or have you considered this about them? You get frustrated at that person because that's not what you're there for. Right? When you go to gossip to someone, when you go to like spread this kind of information and, and gain allies, you don't want somebody questioning you. You don't want somebody giving somebody else the benefit of the doubt. You want them to be on your side. But when you're seeking advice, the goal is restoration. Right? You're, you're not telling it just to tell it. You're telling it so you can then have another conversation where you're pursuing health, where you're pursuing forgiveness and repentance. If you're seeking advice, hopefully you're open to some hard truths about yourself and the ways that you may have contributed to the conflict. So, first, we're going to go to the person. Who are you talking to? The person you're in conflict with. Uh, And if you happen to be the kind of person that everyone seems to come to with their conflict, right, not for advice, but just like you're a good listener, and so they come to you and it's like, can I just tell you what's going on? Um, Proverbs 26, 17 says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Uh, This is like a thousand years before Jesus. And back then, dogs were not pets, right? They weren't like wolves or rabid, but like you didn't have them in your home either. There would just be like dogs wandering around the town because they kept critters down and like they helped protect people and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you wouldn't walk up to a random dog on the street and grab it by the ears, right? That's a really good way to get bitten or scratched. It's a dangerous and foolish thing to do to take a passing dog by the ears. And so if you're the kind of person that people are always coming to you and saying like, hey, can I just vent to you for a minute? Um, You can listen, you can be kind, you can be patient, and then you can gently say, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you talked to them, right? Point them to the person that they're actually in conflict with. Why are you talking to me about this? Go talk to them. That's step number one in resolving conflict biblically and in a healthy way, is actually talking to one another. So who are you talking to? What are you waiting for? Uh, Twice in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about what to do if we're in conflict with someone, if we've sinned against someone or someone has sinned against us. Uh, The first is in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 24. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus tells people, if you're on your way to offer sacrifice at the temple and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice, go make things right with your brother, and then bring your sacrifice to the altar of God. So Jesus says, you're on your way to church, and while you're there, you remember, oh man, I did this really crappy thing to my friend. I should go apologize and make it right quickly, and then after that, go to church, right? Because what could be more important than worship? What could be more important than our devotion to God? Apparently, us being reconciled to one another. So Jesus says, if you're on your way to worship and you realize you've wronged someone, go and make it right. That's Matthew 5. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he says something a little different. He says, if your brother sins against you, then go to him, tell him his fault, and and seek to be restored to one another. Jesus says in Matthew 18 that, that if somebody else does something against you, that it's on you to go to the person, tell them their fault, and seek restoration and reconciliation between them. Do you see what Jesus does in these two statements? 
right? Are, are you the victim or the villain? Are you the wounded or the wounder? It doesn't matter, right? Jesus says, go to the person and work at reconciliation because he knows that we don't want to, right? We want to avoid those conversations. And so he says, I don't care whose fault it is. Go to the person and figure out how to make it right, right? Doesn't our pride get in the way? If they're offended at something that we've done, right? I've done something and and Jesse is just offended at what I've done. Don't we tend to think like, well, if she has a problem, she can come talk to me, right? Like we think that in our heads. Like if if she's upset, like she'll come and, and talk to me. And if not, then everything must be fine. But if we're the offended one, right, like if Jesse does something to me, me and Jesse are fine, by the way, um, but if she does something to me, we tend to think, like, they owe me an apology. I'm not going to interact with that person until they come and acknowledge what they've done and apologize for it, right? And in, in dating relationships, this sounds like, if you don't know why I'm upset, I'm not telling you, right? Who has said or heard that before, right? We, yes, that's happened. Um, look. Ephesians chapter 4, a few verses earlier, Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Here's the question, what are you waiting for? Go to the person quickly, right? Before that, that wound has time to fester, before that like, division between the two of you has time to settle into the way things are now, right? Quickly go to one another and make things right. I mean, take a breath, right? Like, don't just get offended and then go in both guns blazing. Right? Proverbs 15.8 says the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. And this is not the pondering of like, this is what I'm going to say to them. This will really put them in their place. No, this is pondering how do I speak the truth in love to this person? How am I going to be honest about how I'm feeling without attacking them? So like write a letter or email that you don't send, journal about it, talk to a counselor or someone you trust, Um, but don't take too long, right? Don't avoid the interaction because you're scared of how they're going to react or or because you're the one who's done something wrong and it's really hard to admit that. Okay, number one, who are you talking to? The person you're in conflict with. Number number two, what, what are you waiting for? Don't wait, make it right. Go seek reconciliation with one another. Um, and, And just a tip on how to do this, don't like blindside somebody with this, right? Don't like invite somebody like, hey, do you want to go for a walk later today? And then once you're halfway down the greenway and they can't escape, be like, all right, we got some stuff to talk about. Um, You can let them know that you want to have a hard conversation in the future in a way that's not like, that just doesn't pull the rug out from under their feet, right? Hey, like, I feel like there's some tension between us. Can we grab coffee and talk about it sometime later this week, right? That kind of thing is a good way to make that invitation. But once you're actually there, what does that conversation sound like? What does it look like? And here's the last question. Are you listening? And this might seem like a weird thing, right? Because you're the one initiating this conversation, and I'm asking you, are you listening? But this is... This is the goal in our conversation about our conflict, is to speak in a way that invites honest response, not defensiveness or attack or future hurt. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, A couple things that means, a couple ways that might look. Uh, It means that in your conversation about uh, your conflict, don't go on the attack. 
right? Don't, don't be accusing, don't be um, ascribing motives and interrogating the person. So say um, nobody in here is named Sally or Susie, right? Okay, these are safe. All right, say you and Sally are really, really good friends, um, and Susie has joined your friend group, right? And she hangs out with you guys all the time, and, like, you've just, you've been in this group, and Susie's the new friend there. And one day, uh, you swing by the Courtyard Calf on your way to class, and you see Sally and Susie out to breakfast together, and they didn't invite you. And you feel overlooked, right? You feel ignored, you feel slighted, and so you, you reach out to Sally and say, hey, I, I saw you guys at breakfast the other morning. Can we talk? Like, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Um, the wrong way to enter that conversation is, why did you exclude me the other morning? Right? Because I'm assuming that that was your goal, that you intentionally thought, I could invite Andrew, but I'm not going to. Right? I'm going to invite Susie, and we're going to sit somewhere where I know he's going to come past. Right? You're assuming the kind of knowledge about someone else that only God has. Instead, say something like, hey, when I saw you and Susie at breakfast, I felt left out. Is there a reason you didn't invite me or, like, have I done something against you? Right? It it invites a response, not a justification. So another, uh, avoid using language like always or never because it's almost always never true, right? Um, so one thing we tend to say is like, you never do the dishes, right? You never clean up after yourself. You're such a slob, right? Instead, hey, when you leave dirty dishes around the apartment, it feels like you assume that it's my job to clean up after you, or like you think that, that your time is more valuable than mine. In general, it's just better to use that sort of formula. Like when this specific thing happens, it makes me feel like this. Right? And this, I think, helps us get in the right frame of mind because what happens in conflict is that we assume we know what's going on in the other person's heart and mind and intentions and motivations, and we create a story in our minds about what happened, and we believe that it's the truth. This is another reason to resolve conflict quickly um, because the longer you go, the truer that story in your mind feels, and you start to interpret other things that people do through the lens of that story that you've made up, and all of a sudden you're not in a conflict with Susie or Sally. I can't keep them straight. You're not in a conflict with Sally anymore. You're in conflict with, like, this fake Sally that you've constructed in your mind, and it's all getting projected onto real Sally. And so in that situation where you feel overlooked, you feel slighted, you you see them talking to somebody else and, like, are they making more friends without me? Or you see them with other people at RUF and they're laughing about something. You just assume, like, they're talking about you, right? But in talking about a particular situation and your emotional response to it, you're inviting that story to be corrected, right? You're telling the other person, hey, I'm feeling tension between us because I'm interpreting these events in these ways, and you're actually inviting the other person to rewrite that script. So back to the breakfast feeling excluded thing, right? hey, when I saw you and Susie at breakfast, I felt excluded. Is there something I need to know? Is there a reason you didn't invite me? That invites the other person to explain, she's pretty new. No, like you you haven't done anything. There wasn't a reason. Like she's just new to our group and I kind of wanted to get to know her one-on-one a little bit. Or maybe, hey, we had a class together that morning and afterward, like we realized we didn't have anything else and so we just went to breakfast. Or a thousand other perfectly legitimate reasons for two people to be getting breakfast 
and not having intentionally invited you. And then you get to say, like, hey, thanks so much for explaining that to me. I don't know why. I just, like, got in my head about it. Are you free now? Do you want to go get lunch and spend some time together? Right? We're seeking to speak in a way that invites honest response and not defensiveness. And when a person gives that honest response, listen to them. Right? Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. Often we listen to respond, right? We spend the time the other person is talking, thinking about what we're going to say in response, right? How we're going to answer, how we're going to contradict. But instead, listen to understand, right? Listen to hear, and then respond to what they've actually said. And one way to check this, especially with like more tense conflicts and heavier situations, is to just repeat it back to them, right? Listen to what they say and say, okay, I hear you saying blank, Is that right? Like, did I misunderstand you? And give them a chance to correct or say, yeah, they're absolutely right. And I know all this sounds weird and forced, right? Like, Andrew, this sounds really, like, formulaic and just maybe even a little archaic. Like, do people actually talk like this? Um, Yes. Yes. Try it out, right? Try it with, like, say your roommate ate all your Cheetos and then you dumped the Cheeto dust on their pillow, Try this out with resolving that conflict, right? Hey, when you ate all my Cheetos, it made me feel like blank, right? Or hey, when you dumped all that Cheeto dust on my pillow, it made me feel like blank, right? And listen to one another as you respond to that. Like, I'm hoping that's not actually true of any of you in this room. Uh, I hope that's the only time I ever have to mediate that particular conflict. But try it out. Because what this way of speaking and interacting does is it keeps people calm, it keeps accusations like off the table, it keeps the conversation focused, and most of the time you find that the conflict is more in your head than in reality, right? Or you find that the person was unaware of how what they were doing impacts you, and then they surprise you by actually being willing to work on it, right? By repenting and apologizing and trying to change, which if you think about it makes perfect sense. Right? Because, again, we have the most conflict with the people we're closest to. Our friends, our parents, our roommates, our spouses, our family. In other words, we have the most conflict with the people that love us the most. And if someone you love came to you and let you know that, like, hey, this thing that you're doing is hurting me, and you didn't realize that, wouldn't you want to change for them? Wouldn't you want to stop causing them distress? Wouldn't you want to help them? Right? That's what ends up happening in our conflict if we engage in a healthy way, in a biblical way, that invites response, that is free from accusation, that invites forgiveness and repentance from both people. Um, Trish and I learned a bunch of this when we were early on in marriage uh, through a course called Peacemakers. Uh, It's a book by Ken Sandy, and they've got, like, the DVD course that you can do with a small group. We did it with a small group, um, maybe, like, our first year in Hilton Head. And, like, we tried it out on early conflicts in marriage, uh, and it was really awkward and really uncomfortable. But, like, if you were to eavesdrop in our house um, these days, you would hear us still using this language. Like, hey, um, when you leave your dishes on the, you know, the, um, what is it, the, the end table that, that's beside the couch, the side table, the lamp table, I don't know, whatever, whatever that is. Not the coffee table, that's in front of the couch, the, the one beside the couch. 
hey, when you leave your dishes on the table beside the couch, it makes me feel like blank. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I really should have picked those up. I'll try to do that more. Like, that's what our conversation and conflict resolution sounds like. And it goes like that. It's really quick because we've practiced at it and we've gotten really good at handling our conflict in a kind, patient, God-honoring, hopefully, way. Um, I think one of our hesitations in entering into conflict and entering into conflict resolution specifically, um, we don't have any hesitation in getting into conflict. Um, One of our hesitations in seeking to resolve conflict um, is that um, Eva said this in our staff meeting. Where are you? Um, I can't see you around the mask. Yeah, Eva said this in our staff meeting. I don't know if it came out of her head or if she was quoting somebody, but she said, we're unable to imagine life beyond the conflict. Right? We assume that this is going to go on forever, and, and this is how this relationship is just going to be from now on, especially if I lean into it, especially if we actually address it. Right? It's always going to be this way between us, or maybe I'll make it worse. But I want to tell you that life on the other side of conflict is really sweet, right? And you you find that you actually grow closer to one another through conflict and through resolving that conflict well. Because what you do when you're resolving conflict is you're not talking about like activities that you do, right? You're not talking about interests that you have. You're talking about your heart and you're talking about the other person's heart. You're reaffirming your love for and connection with the other person. And you're making sacrifices for one another, which is exactly what Paul says in, Roman, or in Ephesians 5, right? Love one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrifice. And so as we pursue healthy conflict, right, as we, as we seek to resolve our conflict in these biblical ways, we'll find that they don't drive us apart. They actually draw us closer together and make our connections to one another stronger. Uh, two more things. First, What if it's you, right? I've been talking this whole time about like when you're offended or when you're in a conflict that needs resolving, here's what you should do. What if someone reaches out to you and says, hey, can we talk about something? Can we go for a walk? Can we get a cup of coffee? What do you do? Um, Basically, all that stuff, right? Listen, speak in a calm way, hear what the other person is saying and respond to what they've said. Uh, But keep this in mind as well. Proverbs 17.10 says, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The way that you respond to other people pointing out sin in your life, pointing out ways that you've wounded them, pointing out ways that you've been inconsiderate, the way you respond to that says a lot about your heart. If you are wise, if you are a person of understanding, yes, that rebuke will sting, right? We never like learning that we've wounded the people that we love. But, as the proverb says, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool, right? You can hit a stupid person a hundred times and it won't change anything about their life, but if you honestly confront someone who is wise, they will change their life, right? It will sink in. It will make a difference. So when someone confronts you, when someone says, hey, we need to talk, are you ready and able to entertain the possibility that they might actually be right? Right, that you're not better than Jesus, and that maybe, just maybe, it's possible that you did something, intentionally or unintentionally, that wounded someone else. And as you lean into that conversation again, like, let, let that person be grace in your life to help you see your sin and help you fight against it. 
Um, I know that there are a thousand more questions and scenarios that we could talk about, right? What if it doesn't go well? What if I've tried and the person isn't willing to enter into that conversation or isn't willing to admit wrong? Or like, what if there's just no way things are going back to the way they were? Um, I'm happy to talk about all those things and, and be that like counsel and advice for you. I know that Kate on the other side of spring break is willing to as well. She gets married in a week and a half and she's just a little busy. Um, Eva as well would love to talk to you about that. Um, reach out to us. But really, like, it's not that complicated, I think. Right? Who are you talking to? What are you waiting for? And are you listening? Uh, last thing, and then we'll be done. Jesus, in his last prayer before he goes to the cross, prays to the Father and says, Father, would you make them one as you and I are one? And in, uh, in 1 John, John talking about the church, he says uh, that the world will know that we are Christians by our love. One of the things that, um, that we've all noticed about this world uh, is that we don't handle conflict well, right? People get upset, people get canceled, people are like just cutting ties left and right because of conflict that goes unresolved. What if there was a community a church, a campus ministry, where people experience conflict and instead of like jumping to a new ministry or jumping to a new church or a new community, they like actually worked through it and came out the other side stronger? What if unintentional offenses, what if like actual sins against one another didn't mean the end of a relationship, but actually meant an experience of grace for both people and stronger relationships? Wouldn't that catch the attention of a world that does not know what it means to disagree and love someone? Wouldn't that be a powerful witness for, the, for the, the grace of God, for the reconciling power of the gospel, for the power of God to take broken things and make something beautiful and new out of them? As we pursue reconciliation and repentance with one another, as we handle our conflict well, it's a really powerful, like, practice of evangelism to a watching world. We tend to think of evangelism as just let me tell people they're a sinner and why they need Jesus and then tell them about Jesus. But like this is evangelistic as well, to see the gospel made beautiful in the lives of real people as we experience change and hope and restoration with one another. God has reconciled us to himself. Let us seek peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you have reconciled us to you, that you have gotten rid of the conflict between us through the blood of Christ. Uh, we thank you for him and for his sacrifice for us, for his love for us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to follow your example and his example in seeking that kind of peace and forgiveness and reconciliation with one another. Uh, Father, we confess that we often handle conflict in poor ways. Uh, we're tempted to gossip. We're tempted to to run away, we're tempted to ignore uh, any conflict. Uh, Father, teach us what it is to love one another well, uh, even when we've been hurt, even when we're the ones who have done the hurting. Uh, pray, Father, for wisdom as we maybe enter into some of these conversations, that you would help us know what it is to um, give a gentle answer, uh, that you would give us the courage to talk to one another, uh, give us the boldness to do it quickly. Father, I pray that as we do this, uh, as we live in unity with one another and seek restoration and reconciliation, uh, that people would take notice, that it's possible for there to be a community where people get hurt and yet continue in love and relationship with one another. I pray that you would bring that to light here and that it would be a powerful witness to watching world. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.